0: We are going to energise the country. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. No more Mr Nice Guy. Another future is possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the debated podcast. As always, I'm your host Will, and in this episode I'm delighted to be joined by Lauren Davison, who is one of the co-hosts of the Left Wingers podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Lauren. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to have you. Now, the first question that I'd like to ask is, um, why did you decide to uh, make the Left Wingers podcast? What prompted you to to decide to start the podcast?
1: I mean, for me, I think having lived in a constituency, I used to live in Totnes constituency, um, there were very few young people, very few young Labour members involved. And I thought, well, why not? Create something so that people who might be in a similar situation could have a listen and sort of feel that they were listening to a conversation they might have with their mates in the pub. It mm. kind of, not as a substitute for those friendships, but as a kind of way of reaching out and making people feel a bit more seen. Because if mm. you don't have those friendships, in person, it can be really difficult and isolating if all you have to go on is Labour Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of them ones. It can be quite an alienating experience. Um, but I also think education is a big part of it because so often, as younger Labour members, I mean, I'm nearly twenty-five. Brandon and Ross, my co-hosts, are a bit younger than me. Um, There's so much like patronising of young members, even when it's like educating us on important stuff. What we wanted to do was kind of show that you can have conversations about policy issues without being patronising, without talking down to people and just kind of having good faith discussions that focus on informing rather than sort of castigating because people don't know stuff.
0: Mm. Do you think that um, part of the reason that people are attracted to uh, podcasts like Left Wingers and some of the other um, Labour Party podcasts that have um, come out – over the last few years, is because not just the educational uh, part of it, but it's not quite as um, factional as uh, Labour Party, particularly uh, young Labour uh, interactions can sometimes be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, That's something I think we looked at as well when we were setting up Left Wingers, was that, you know, two of us are open Labour, um, one of us isn't so for us it was important that we bring voices from across the party together mm. in a way that doesn't alienate those who might not be from the same strain of part of the party as us and um, so like for example with the upcoming NEC elections and the young labour elections we want to talk to people from across the party and represent everyone and I think that is something that yeah is really attractive um to younger members because I think when you go to a CLP for the first time as a young member, you kind of get adopted into a faction um, and it can be hard to break out of that. I think that's my experience anyway. I was adopted into the more sort of further left momentum faction. I'm now open labour, but it's really hard unless you've got those unless you're listening to those conversations from people outside of your bubble it's very easy to stay in that bubble and that's the Mm. exact opposite of what we need as a party
0: um now one of the things that i think um he drew really well on the podcast is discussions of um policy and and explaining particular um policies to an audience that might not be um inherently familiar with them. Do you think that that's something that the Labour Party itself could do a bit more of in in helping uh, younger members to feel at home within the framework of the party?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think this goes probably beyond younger members as well. I mean, as a policy officer for my last CLP, I found it absolutely baffling the lack of support the party gave people like me to try and disseminate information to members of yeah. all ages, you know, before the last election, there was basically no support given. There was no there was no way of helping others to understand the, the sheer amount of policy we had. And let's not forget the last manifesto was overloaded. Mm. Um and it's about stripping things back and saying it in a way that people understand without again being patronizing because that's not what you want. But there has to be that level of recognition from people that maybe are very involved in politics, like we are, that not everyone lives and breathes politics. Not everyone sits there and extensively researches policy areas and that's okay you know that's that's not it's not a requirement to be a labour party member but we need we need to recognize that and we don't want to alienate people it's all about making people feel they've got a stake in the party and if they don't feel like they're being valued and heard and included in Mm. policy discussions they will just turn their back on them
0: and not get involved do you think part of the issue as well and you um touched on um Uh, disseminating policy there do you think part of the issue is just basic organizational structure within the Labour Party that more emphasis has to be put on ensuring that the individual CLP organizations are up to the task of you know not just getting out there on the doorstep and handing out leaflets but also ensuring that everyone is on the same page in terms of message
1: yeah yeah I agree with that completely I think there is a structural issue um I think part of it does stem from the fact though and I you know I can't I can't say whether my experience in the southwest would be the same as someone you know in a target seat in London because obviously Tottenham was very very Tory dominated we were never going to win the seat um maybe had I been in a marginal seat my experience might have been different. And I think that's a problem though, um, because how do you ever expect to go from marginal to winning a seat if you're not putting CLPs on a fairer footing? Mm. I know we're all volunteers at the end of the day. We're all doing our bit. Some of us have no background in in what we're doing. We're just doing it because we want to help out and we want to, you know, take the party forward. There does need to be a recognition that resources are spread unequally and there isn't, a great deal of understanding of that from some people like i've spoken to people that can't comprehend the fact that some clps don't even have a constituency office Mm. or a headquarters it it's um it's yeah it's difficult because being part of labor is not a universal experience and i don't think some people understand that especially those at the top
0: Mm. um now you um mentioned then uh being a member of a, a CLP in the Southwest, And this is something that I know that you've talked about um, quite a bit in terms of perhaps the Labour Party needing to focus more uh, on making gains in the South Do you think that part of the issue sometimes when uh, the is approaching campaigning and where to uh, send campaigners is that there is this sort of, well, the North is uh, perhaps more uh, open to us and more of a, a safer area whereas the south even if it is the southwest is much more likely to be conservative or liberal Democrat. so we shouldn't bother
1: yeah totally agree with that assessment as well i think that's something we've seen in the southwest um i don't blame anyone in particular for that because when you're desperately trying to chase the conservative party you're going to go for the seats in the regions where you've traditionally had a really strong standing and that hasn't always been the case in the southwest you know we've got great pockets of support in exeter got great support in plymouth really two strong good candidates one of them obviously sitting mp luke pollard um charlotte holloway ran for the other plymouth seat was brilliant as well um but there is yeah there is a tendency to kind of double down and go well they've always voted Tory or Lib Dem. The Lib Dems are seen as the traditional opposition party in the Southwest. West, why bother? And I think it's really encouraging to see Keir Starmer come out and say that rural and coastal towns, especially, are going to be a target for him as Labour leader because I think people look at places like Torbay and Totnes, where I was, I'm now in Stoke, but you know I was there for a substantial amount of time. Um, look at places like that and think, well, they've got nothing in common with our Red Wall seats or our Heartland seats in London, when actually they do. They face the same issues. They they face deprivation, poverty, lack of funding. Um, some issues are different, but mm. fundamentally, the same issues people care about, they just maybe manifest in different ways.
0: Mm. Um, now, uh, you mentioned earlier on uh, about doing a podcast about the up-and-coming Young Labour and NEC elections. How have you found the um, campaigns that have been going on for Young Labour and the NEC elections this time round? Do you think that there's been perhaps a bit more uh, intensity because most of the campaigning is going to be online? Or do you think that it's a, a, a positive thing to campaign more online in these elections? What do you think?
1: um okay so it's quite a multifaceted issue this one uh, if i had to describe the campaigns that are going on at the minute in one word i would say toxic
0: yeah.
1: that's a general point not based on anyone in particular but just the general atmosphere and i think a lot of people especially younger labor members feel totally alienated from young labor as a result um being online has its positives and it has its very clear negatives, as I mm. think a lot of us have seen. Positives being it engages people that maybe don't live in places like London where a lot of meetings and rallies and stuff would be going on and they wouldn't be able to get to. The negatives, it's such a I'm trying to think of the word, it's being put under a magnifying glass where in person, if you was to make a criticism of a candidate, it might reach sort of five to ten people, whoever's in the room. If you tweet about a candidate, it can get hundreds and thousands of likes and retweets. So less so for the lay member, but more so for the candidates themselves. I know firsthand from friends I've spoken to who are running the extreme pressure and issues it's causing for their mental health, just being under that level of scrutiny, because it's not all good faith arguments and attacks are being made. Mm. It, it's a lot to deal with and I I couldn't do it myself personally <laughs> that's all I was saying <laughs> so fair play to them because I couldn't do it I wouldn't be able to deal with it mm. um, the NEC is a little bit different um, that's I think there are probably people that are a little bit more resilient because they, they're they older they've done mm. it before personally at the moment I'm working on Anne Black's campaign I'm doing a lot of her graphics um, and you know that's been a really rewarding and lovely experience I, again, I think there is a level of factionalism that's come into the fore and it's not always helpful. Um, mm. it, yeah, it, it causes a lot of problems and as I'm sure you know, it's dragging on for ages. I think next time they need to be a lot shorter.
0: Mm. Do you think that um, part of the issues aren't just factionalism, uh, but it's also a sense that perhaps young labour isn't uh, necessarily as... Uh, relevant as perhaps it could be to the lives of young Labour members where there's a feeling that oh it's a great organisation to be a part of if you can get elected but a lot of people obviously won't get elected and won't feel a part of it. Well
1: yeah look I think Miriam has done a fantastic job by the way in Mm. her role um i I think that's the very nature of an organization that seeks to represent young labor members but it's still quite a large cohort and it's quite a diverse cohort in terms of age because you've got people from the age of 14 up until 27 Mm. i think there's always going to be that level of um not conflict but kind of it's a very sort of broad stroke against a a very large group so your experiences at 14 are going to be massively different when you're 27 Mm. if I was on the younger end of that spectrum I think I would feel probably quite reluctant to engage as much when there are quite older people there and I know a few of the candidates are looking at kind of splitting young labour off from like younger and older which Mm. I think is probably a good thing to do in terms of not just the confidence of younger members but for safeguarding reasons as well Mm. because you could have a situation where you've got a 15-year-old sat in a room with a 26-year-old. It's, mm. it's quite... It worries me a little bit, to be honest. Mm.
0: Um,
1: but I can see why people are put off and I, I can see why the engagement isn't always there.
0: Mm. Uh, you mentioned safeguarding there. And, of course, um, one of the things uh, that has been a large part of uh, Kistama's uh, pitch as leader of the Labour Party, is more of an emphasis on looking at um, cases, whether they be of um, anti-Semitism, of other issues, and and making sure that these cases are resolved. Do you think that if there is a more uh, resilient system of reporting uh, instances of of, of things that aren't uh, right, do you think that that would make people feel safer in engaging in... uh, whether there be younger Labour elections or other elections in the Labour Party?
1: I mean, obviously, I can't speak for Jewish members of the party. Um, I can speak for sort of... I can only speak for myself, really. Mm. I can't really speak for young Labour members either. Um but I don't think until the complaint system is truly independent, will there be an adequate level of confidence in it. And that's something I'd like to see pushed for, because we've seen all too often, we've seen it leaked, we've seen comments made that the leader of the opposition has got involved and has you know put pressure on for things to be uh, done in a certain way, and I don't think that's right. But mm. on a personal note from my own experience, I've noticed since David Evans has come in, there has been a real shift in the way complaints are responded to just from little things like the acknowledgement email you get, um, after you've complained. Mm. And trust me, I've had to complain quite a bit in the, <laughs> in the, last, <laughs> in the last sort of few months, um, semitism and stuff. But, um, just, I think Evans has come in and I don't know whether it's something he's consciously done or just the way things have fallen, but it seems as though that action has been taken quicker and it's been taken seriously. Um, so that is a, good first step but as I say I think independence is truly the way that people will feel confident in the system.
0: Mm. Um, Now one particular area that I know that um, you very much know your stuff is uh, law and order, is justice, is um, crime policy, criminal policy. Uh, What do you think the Labour Party's approach to uh, policies involving crime and, and criminal justice should be Going forward, do you think that there has been perhaps too much of a focus on uh, the amount of police officers on the beat, than perhaps reforms to the uh, criminal justice system, or what are your thoughts?
1: I think Labour's had quite a complex history with law and order um, because I think under Blair and Brown, I don't particularly like the direction we travelled in in terms of law and order. Mm. Um, Quite a few criminologists would argue that uh, New Labour were more Thatcherite on law and order than Thatcher was herself, which I can kind of see when you've got things like the IPP sentence Mm. uh, and ASBOs, etc. I think under Corbyn, it was probably one of my biggest disappointments because he was so liberal and he was so um, left wing. You'd kind of expect that Labour would be putting forward our stance on law and order um a little bit more strongly and I don't mm-hmm. feel like that was ever done and I feel like there was a real opportunity missed but then I'm not going to give my opinion on Richard Bergen um it's <laughs> for the best <laughs> but I'm really pleased that David Lammy now the secretary I think you know just the secretary got a bit um ahead of myself there but <laughs> he <laughs> um he is someone I think really appreciate evidence based policy and that is all I'm asking for <laughs> as a criminologist all I want is the labor party to look at evidence and look at best practice and what actually works because i think the moment you start going down populist lines i think it's a real slippery slope and i know we kind of always had a tendency to try and veer slightly to the right on law and order because we've gone onto the tories territory quite a bit mm. um I don't think we can do that going forward. I really don't think it's a good idea. I mean, yes, the public want to see more funding for the police. That is, whether our opinions are the same as the public's opinion is another matter. Mm. But when they're peddling things like, um, you know, Bobby's on the beat, there's plenty of evidence that suggests that more police on the beat doesn't actually reduce crime. It's the same as Stop and Search the Home Office themselves came out and said, actually, there's no discernible impact on knife crime um, through more stopping and searching. So we really need to get away from parroting Tory rhetoric that doesn't actually reduce crime or improve lives.
0: That mm. There is an opportunity um, regarding uh, the quite public spectacle the Conservative Party have made of themselves in regard to the internal uh, market bill uh, when the argument has been made that, oh, well, it only breaches international law in a, uh, a very <laughs> a limited and specific way. Do you think that this gives an opportunity for the Labour Party to make a pitch that, well, you know, you can see how the Conservatives are reacting to international law uh, and law and order in general, you can trust us more with upholding the law.
1: Yeah, I think that obviously that has to be our natural kind of response to it. But the problem is, is I worry, will it, will it actually cut through? Because the kinds of people that are still supporting the Conservative Party are the kinds of people that want Brexit at any and all costs. Mm. And I feel as though it wouldn't matter you know, it wouldn't matter whether it breached law because if people don't agree with the law to begin with, they're not gonna they're not gonna suddenly change their mind. Especially mm. if it gets them Brexit, we've seen obviously with the Tory party and their response to um, various uh, how they've reacted to Shamima Begum as well, and you know how making her stateless is against mm. international law. They've tried to do it anyway. They really don't care about international law. They don't care about laws unless it's the working classes and normal people that are breaching them it you know it doesn't there is no level of consistency between what they say and what they do Mm. Um, and I think the sooner people realise that the better
0: so do you think that uh, part of the reason um, that there is this continuing uh, support for the Conservative Party in, in some areas is more down to the image they present and focusing on one a very specific policy like Brexit, rather than it actually being people thinking that uh, their record in government is fantastic or that they've, they've done well.
1: I mean, it's difficult to say for everyone, but I think there are a lot of people that either support Brexit at all costs and see the Tories as the best chance of getting it, whether or not they'll remain conservative after Brexit's been carried out, who knows. A lot of people also internalise the rhetoric that, you know, austerity, for example, was Labour's fault and the yeah. global recession was Labour's fault. So naturally, they're not going to be supportive of Labour. They're probably going to go for the biggest alternative, which is the Conservative Party. So it's really difficult to say because I think it is an individualised thing, but I don't always think you know, people support the Conservative Party because of their shining record in government. They haven't got one. A lot of it is, um, they see them maybe as the least worst option. I don't Mm. know.
0: Do you think that um, part of it is also the way that they, uh, the public, perceive uh, the Prime Minister, the leader of the Conservative Party, as opposed to um, the leader of the Labour Party? Because, I mean, I think it's clear that a lot of people Uh, at the last election seemed to see the the difference between um, Corbyn and Johnson and perhaps veered more to him because of how they felt about uh, Corbyn than necessarily, you know, really embracing Boris Johnson or the Conservative Party. Do you think that's something that we have to keep in mind when going forward to the the next election?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think... Just like a lot of people talk about how Corbyn had a group of loyal supporters, there were exactly the same for Boris Johnson. You know, canvassing before the Mm. last election, there were a lot of people that said to me, "I don't like Boris. I don't particularly like Corbyn. I'm not going to vote to put Corbyn in number ten because of anti-Semitism because he hates." He hates Britain. He mm. sided with every one of Britain's enemies. You know, I don't necessarily agree with <laughs> the latter part. I mean, the anti-Semitism is undeniable. It's there in plain sight. Mm. Um, but I think when when it's coming down to people having ideas that Corbyn hates the country and some of the things he has said <sighs> were dodgy, mm. people no matter whether they're Labour or not there are a lot of seats that are Labour that people are still patriotic they are still they still love the Queen they still love mm-hmm. the country it's going to rub them up the wrong way and I think Boris Johnson does optimism really well he doesn't really do detail but he does optimism and he does like a fluffy kind of conservatism that makes people feel good and optimistic about the future just because mm-hmm. he says it's going to happen doesn't mean it's going to happen they don't know that yet but it, I think People don't like hearing negative things about the country they live in and that they are proud of. Um, And I think that that is a big part of it. Now, with Starmer, I think he's been very careful not to um, alienate people. I think he's been very careful in what he says. Um, I don't necessarily always agree with him doing so. I, mm. I don't think I, th- I think there's a I think there's a way of doing that that doesn't make you look spineless. <laughs> I don't think he's always um, struck the right balance. Mm. He has said nothing about transphobia, for example. People are mentioning culture wars. Mm. Um, for me, transphobia is not a culture war. It's about people's human rights, and their existence. Mm. And I think any leader of the Labour Party should be speaking up for trans people who are some of the most marginalised people in society. Mm. And the fact he hasn't done that in the name of optics, is what I think it is anyway, Mm. is wrong.
0: Do you think that um, the contrast between uh, Boris Johnson and and Keir Starmer will be more of an issue uh, next year's um, local elections, Scottish elections and uh, Welsh Assembly elections? Or do you think that Brexit will still be the the overriding uh, issue in terms of when people are going to the ballot and voting whether be it be for councillors or representatives in the the Scottish or uh, Welsh Parliaments
1: well I think in Wales particularly um, I think uh, Welsh labour have done a really good job I think there's you know polling has shown that they've surged in polls again mm. um, not the same. Um, for the Tories, I think obviously the Tories have lost a lot of support in Wales just because of their behaviour. So I think I think we might do quite well in Wales. That's obviously not for me to say. I'm not Welsh. In terms of Scotland, it's a little bit more complicated. Obviously with <laughs> the SNP, I to be honest, I don't really know about Scotland. Only because it seems very complicated at the minute. There's a whole thing with Richard Leonard. <laughs> Um, whether whether we think he should have stayed, whether we think he should have uh, resigned, it, it's it's difficult to say. And ultimately, <laughs> I think coronavirus will probably be more of a um, indicator than Brexit, mm. because I don't know if we'll know the full effect of Brexit for a while. So I think it's going to be a case of kind of waiting for that to happen, and then maybe opinions will change. Mm.
0: Uh, we're coming up to the end of the podcast it's been great uh, speaking to you lauren and i've got one final question now of course as i mentioned at the start of the podcast and throughout uh, we've discussed that you're one of the uh, co-hosts of the uh, left wingers podcast and my final question is this if you could have any person on at all as a guest on left wingers podcast to discuss anything uh, who would you have on
1: Oh, this is so easy. Lisa Andy. <laughs> um, I I think all three of us love Lisa and Andy on Left Wingers. Um, I just, I felt so inspired by her leadership campaign. I feel mm. like she is the only, she, she was the only candidate for me that actually spoke um, the home truths that needed to be said. I mm. feel like there was a certain level of frankness from her that we didn't get from the other two. Um, I'm quite in myself, I'm, I'm working class, I say it as it is, and I feel like she embodies that, and I feel mm. like that's what the Labour Party needed at that particular time. Um, but yeah, I, I would love her or Emily Thornbury. Mm. Um, there's a bit of a trend here, isn't there? Sort of <laughs> quite um, outspoken left wing women, but you know.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: No, I think they'd be brilliant, um, but hopefully one day. <laughs>
0: yeah, hope, hope, hopefully you'll be able to um, you'll be able to get them on, or hopefully they'll uh, they'll come on this podcast as well. But yeah, oh,
1: okay. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. <laughs> uh,
0: thank you once again for coming on the podcast, Lauren. If anyone wants to uh, find out any more about left wingers, uh, where can they go to, to find out more about it?
1: <laughs> you can go onto our Twitter, which is at left underscore wingers. Um, and you can listen to us on Spotify. Just search on and We'll be there.
0: Great. Well, uh, thanks once again uh, for coming on the podcast. And I hope all of our listeners go over and check Left Wingers out if they haven't already. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Don't forget that you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, or YouTube. You can follow us at Debated Podcast on Twitter. Like us, Debated Podcast on Facebook. And if you want to email us either about appearing or making a comment or reaction to the episode you've heard or any other episodes, then email us the podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.